I'm very tempted to make a lame joke. Okay, I will do it. Today's scripture reading is taken from the Bible, not my car. My car is there. Okay, anyway, <laughs> come. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you that you gather us together and that, Lord, we come as one body to worship you. And so, Lord, we thank you that you are God who is worthy of our worship and that, Lord, you don't just receive our worship. Lord, you also minister to us. You teach us. And so, Father, we pray that you open our hearts. May I be faithful to the preaching of your word. May you accomplish your purposes today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, I, I want to thank uh, Daniel and Angela for doing our revision for us today. Yeah, that we are still looking at our, uh, our track vision uh, for our conference vision for this month of come, follow, and become like Jesus. Yeah, so we have looked at the first essential of personal growth, the second essential of building community. Today, we're looking at the third essential of being a voice to our nation, to be salt and light in our society. And so God has a mission to restore the world to himself, okay? The world, uh, all of humanity, born separated from God because of sin, right? So he, he has this mission to restore the world to himself, to come back into fellowship with him, but it doesn't just happen at a personal level. It doesn't just happen at a global level. It also happens at a national level. So while we are called to make disciples of all nations and to work with God to bring His kingdom to the entire world, we have that same calling for our nation, our country, Malaysia. So the points that we'll be looking at can actually be applied beyond the scope of our nation. Okay? We, it applies to, to basically all other humans, but I'll be focusing today on how we can apply them within the context of our nation. But before we get into that, I want to show you a quick uh, video. What if pain, the thing that parents try hardest to protect their children from, what if that was the thing your child needed most? Everyone's like, oh, what a good baby you have. But as time went on, the red flags started going up. From the moment she was born, Ashlyn Blocker didn't cry when she was hungry or had diaper rash, or even when, at just eight months old, her parents took her to the eye doctor. When they put the dye in her eye, everyone just kind of gasped. She had a big corneal abrasion across her eye. They were astonished she wasn't in pain. It was then her parents got the shocking, devastating news. Their baby couldn't feel any pain. It was scary because, you know, there weren't very many good outcomes that were involved with this condition. People passing away from appendicitis because they didn't have the warning signs and bone infections. I understand that the toddler years were some of the worst, where she yes. continued to injure herself. Yeah, the biting, her burning her hands, different things. Tar actually would wrap her hands up with athletic tape. She'd be our little boxer. Photo after photo document injuries that pained her parents, but not their little girl. Yeah, okay, so that little girl is, uh, she, she suffers from a condition called congenital insensitivity to pain. Okay, also known as CIP, right? Or congenital analgesia. 
Ah, okay, how many of you have heard of this condition before? A couple, huh? you've watched House MD, right? Okay, so uh, this, this people with this condition don't know when they are injured or when they are suffering uh, because they don't feel pain. For some reason, their nervous system, uh, pain receptors, uh, working but not delivering the message to the brain or something like that. Okay, so normally when we feel pain, we pull away from whatever is causing us pain, right? So for example, if you touch a hot kettle, your instinct, even before you think about it and try to decide, should I keep my hand here? Should I move? Uh, your body will do that for you instinctively. Your, your nerves will yell at you, pain right? And then you will jerk your hand away. So for people with CIP, congenital insensitivity to pain, they usually don't discover the extent of their injuries until they are very bad because their nervous system isn't working correctly to prevent them from being harmed or from getting the help that they need when they are already harmed. They, they don't have these pain receptors or, or, or whatever, the, the nervous system is not calling attention to their injuries. Instead, they need to depend on others who care about them to see when they are hurt, to tell them when they are hurt, uh, and, and to intervene and get them help uh, when they are hurt, or to, to uh, stop them from doing the thing that is hurting them. Right? So our nation is full of those who quietly suffer things like injustice, things like being unloved. And sometimes they remain quiet for all sorts of reasons. You know, maybe they are too fearful. Maybe they're not in a position where they feel like they can speak up. Uh, maybe they don't know any better. And so our nation is full of these wounds, people suffering from these wounds. And these wounds go ignored because there is no one calling attention to the wound. No one trying to intervene. No one trying to remedy these wounds. But God calls His people on the same mission that He is on, right? To restore people to Him, also to be salt and light to this nation, to heal the world like, like Michael Jackson's song, okay? So God's people can be the voice that these people lack, God's people can be the ones who intervene and bring healing to our nation. And so that's our big idea for today. Our takeaway message, you forget, forget everything. As God's people, we can be a voice to our nation. Okay, very simple. As God's people, we can be a voice to our nation. Now, our scripture text today is taken from the Bible. <laughs> Uh, Micah, uh, chapter 6, verse 8. And this is a pretty famous verse. Uh, but before we, we go straight into it, let's do a little bit of background. Huh? Micah was a prophet, uh, mainly to the southern kingdom of Judah. Okay, so you know, after uh, Solomon, King Solomon, the kingdom divided, right? North and south. Uh, northern kingdom Israel, southern kingdom Judah. So Micah preached to the southern kingdom of Judah even before the northern kingdom of Israel fell to Assyria. Okay? So, Micah was warning Judah about coming judgment because they were breaking God's covenant. 
Okay, so remember God's covenant of uh, He will bless, uh, they will be His people uh, if they obey His laws, His uh, commandments. And if they don't obey uh, His laws and commandments, if they go and run after other idols, then they would suffer the curses instead. Right? So Micah was warning Judah, judgment is coming. All this, you, the covenant has been broken. Uh, there were many false prophets. The leaders, the people were dishonest and evil. They were being led astray by some evil kings in Judah. And so there was also much injustice happening during that time. Now, in the verses just before Micah chapter 6, verse 8, God says that even religious acts doesn't excuse their abuses. Okay, the, the fact that they were committing injustice, they were allowing injustice to happen, all their religious things uh, doesn't excuse them. So they're still going to face judgment. You know, so all these burnt offerings, calves a year old, thousands of rams, rivers of olive oil, uh, none of these uh, uh, excuses uh, does away with the injustices that they are uh, uh, perpetrating and allowing to happen. And so while the judgments found in Micah doesn't directly apply to us today because Jesus has paid the price for our sins. So if we believe in Jesus, you know, he suffers the curse uh, we don't have to, right? So those judgments don't apply directly to us, but verse 8 still applies to us, okay? And it talks about God's will for His people, and so that extends to us what God wants for His people. We are His people, so it, it applies to us. And it says, verse 8, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. And so the first part of verse 8 uh, says that what God is looking for is what is good. Okay, he's showing you what is good. In contrast to the religious acts of offerings and sacrifices that we saw just now in verses 6 and 7. Okay, that all those are uh, the, the rams and the, the calves, the olive oil, uh, that is not considered as good as what God is looking for, okay? which is found here in verse 8. In other words, what is good in God's eyes, what He's looking for in His people, goes beyond religious acts. Okay? So, what God wants is not the religious stuff. Uh, they, they, the, the things that He was looking for uh, are not always associated with religion. For example, uh, there are many NGOs that are not religious in nature that also stand for some of these causes of justice uh, and helping the needy and so on, right? So practical things that will make an impact on the world around us. And within the context of our topic today, there are specifically things that will make an impact in the nation that we live in. These are the things that God is looking for in His people. And so in this verse, we can see three things to do in order to pursue what is good, what God is looking for in His people. Firstly, to act justly. Okay? One of the most 
infuriating things that we can experience as human beings is when an injustice happens. Now, how many of you have seen a child react to injustice before? Right? When they say, not fair, this is unfair. Right? They scream in frustration, they stamp their feet, they cry about how this whole situation is just so unfair. Now, they might not always be able to judge the whole situation properly. Lah. They don't have the whole picture, right? But they express how most of us feel when there is an injustice that happens, a real genuine injustice. And what makes it worse is when the one who is in authority is supposed to deliver justice, but they don't because of you know, corruption, lah, flaws in the justice system, whatever, right? And so when, when those who are supposed to de deliver justice don't, uh, that's even worse. And so that's also some of the things that were happening uh, during Micah's time. But God is a God of justice. And so that's why not just in Micah, but many of the other prophets write about how God just betahan. <laughs> he cannot stand injustice. Right? And he... Uh, he He's, he basically keeps the same message in many of the prophets that all this religious stuff is nothing if you know, the, the, the people are not uh, standing for justice and standing against injustice. So God is a God of justice. He cannot be unjust because that is his character. He cannot stand injustice because that is part of his character. Isaiah says, God loves justice. God hates wrongdoing. And so this is a consistent message that is throughout the Bible. Sometimes our circumstances and our perspective of what's happening around us may make us feel like God doesn't care about justice. Right? So if you look at some of the, uh, the, the psalmist or portions of Jeremiah, Job, they complain about how the wicked prosper. They complain about how the righteous are not receiving justice and all that, right? Justice doesn't seem to be done. But their perspective is also limited, just like a child, right? And usually at the end of the psalm, or at the end of the book, there's usually a conclusion, a wrap-up, that comes back to the truth that God is still a God of justice, that God is still in control, his ultimate justice prevails, often beyond this life into eternity. And so the truth remains, God loves justice. It's just a matter of whether we can see it from where we are. And so because God is concerned about justice and he loves justice, as his children, we too should be concerned about justice in our nation. It's not just a matter of uh, don't commit injustice, right? As God's children, we don't just try to avoid doing things that are wrong. We also have a responsibility to make things right in our nation, to right the wrong. That's why whenever there is some court case that is about injustice, when there is an enforced disappearance that feels like injustice, we speak up about it. We pray about it. Uh, we, we share about it. It burdens us. Because we have, a, uh, as, as followers of this God of justice, we are concerned 
about injustice that happens. So whether it's an unjust law, an unjust system, isolated case of injustice, we should care. Even if it's in our neighbourhood, in our school, somebody gonna bully, that sort of thing, we should care. Even if it doesn't directly affect us. Now, justice is also not just fairness from our perspective. Okay? It is fairness from God's perspective. And in God's eyes, all of humanity have equal worth. All of humanity are deserving of the opportunity to flourish as He created them. And so, in God's eyes, when there is inequality among humans, that is a matter of injustice. Tim Keller, in his book, Generous Justice, writes, God loves and defends those with the least economic and social power, and so should we. That is what it means to do justice. He's talking about what uh, some people, some scholars call the quartet of the vulnerable, basically a, a, a very consistent group that the Bible mentions often when God is talking about providing and protecting, right? And these are the poor, the foreigner, the orphan, and the widow. So you always hear, lah, uh, protect the foreigner, uh, protect the, 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 the poor, the orphan, the widow, seek justice for them and all that. Uh, that is a consistent message throughout the Bible. Tim Keller further writes, Doing justice includes not only the righting of wrongs, but generosity and social concern, especially towards the poor and vulnerable. This kind of life reflects the character of God, that it echoes God's heart. So acting justly includes this idea of social justice, not in the sense of uh, wokeness as we know it today, eh? uh, but social injustice in the sense that those who are facing injustice, true injustice, that there are advocates for them, caring about those whom people usually don't care about. As Jesus puts it in Matthew chapter 25, I was hungry, gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, gave me something to drink. As a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, you clothed me. I was sick, you looked after me. I was in prison, you came to visit me. So who do you know in our country who are poor, who are foreigners, who are orphans, who are widows? Maybe not literally orphans and widows because the, the society of that day, they were at a far greater disadvantage because the, the patriarchs, the fathers, the men, they, the husbands, they are the ones who provide for the family. Uh, but people who are vulnerable because of their economic or their social status, who do you know? One group of people in this country that definitely falls into this category are migrant workers, refugees. Uh, whether legal or illegal, no matter what their motivation for being here, the mere fact that they are foreigners here, especially in a very race-conscious country, uh, that puts them, the, uh, puts the overwhelming majority of them in a position of economic and social vulnerability. And so as a result, many foreign workers, refugees, are often abused, they are overlooked, they are discriminated against, they are treated as second-class citizens by many Malaysians. So if you go to a restaurant, right, and you see a migrant worker, you know, uh, serving, you 
sometimes listen to how Malaysians speak to them versus how they speak to the local uh, service staff. It's different. Yeah? But God's justice says that they are fellow human beings made in His image. So we have a responsibility to care about them, to be a voice for them when they're being mistreated, to be a voice for them when they're going through injustice, when they have little or no influence uh, or, or knowledge of the law. And so if you have a burden, you know, uh, I've been talking about this and you feel, oh, yeah, must do something. If you're burdened for helping migrant workers, refugees in Penang, uh, Jay Lee, please stand. Where are you, Jay Lee? <laughs> okay. So please go look for Jay Lee, all right? Please go look for her, look for our social concerns committee. We, um, we, we have a burden, we have a concern for, for this group of people as well. We were helping a, a learning center for migrant children. They could always use more volunteers. Uh, later this year, our church is hosting a training for ministering to migrants. So if you're interested, go talk to Jaylee. Okay, so migrant workers and refugees, that's just one example of a vulnerable group that needs justice. There are other vulnerable groups that are voiceless for whatever reason. Uh, and and they, they don't need to be, oh, dirt poor, they don't need to be homeless or that sort of thing. Uh, sometimes they can just be people who society, you know, as strangers because of their personality, because of uh, how, uh, social disorders, whatever, right? And so there are people who are more vulnerable. We can be a voice for them in this nation. So be concerned for the vulnerable as God is concerned for them. Be the one who calls attention to their pain. Be the one who tries to intervene and help and heal. Now this concern for others is directly tied to my second point, which is love mercy. So act justly, love mercy. Second thing to pursue what is good, love mercy. Several things to note about the original Hebrew words in this love, mercy. Uh, the Hebrew word for love is ahava. Okay? Say it with me, ahava. Oh, I need to use more phlegm, ahava. <laughs> okay, so this word is an action word. Uh, the, the Hebrew word for love is not feelings-based. So it's quite different from our Western understanding of love, huh? Where, oh, all the romantic feeling, oh, feel so loving. Uh, Hebrew word for love is very action-based. Okay? Uh, so loving mercy is not just, oh, I feel very merciful. Not just, oh, I have loving feelings uh, for those that I have mercy on. Rather, it is showing love for mercy through action, acting on that love. The word ahava also shares a root with the Hebrew word to give, which is ahav, right? So love is always more about giving than about taking. So that's love. Now, the Hebrew word for mercy is chesed. Say it with me, chesed. Again, lots of phlegm, huh? chesed. <laughs> Okay, you may have word, heard this word before, lah, right? It doesn't have an exact translation in English. Uh, often it's translated as loving kindness or steadfast love, right? The steadfast love of the Lord, right? So that one. 
there is both the quality of loyalty as well as love in this word chesed. And so God uses it to describe the sort of love that he has for Israel. On top of this chesed being a quality for God, it's also something for us to show other people in community that we are to love chesed. We are, we are to uh, love mercy for others. Now the Greek word to, uh, that is used to translate chesed in the, the Greek Old Testament is used to describe the sort of mercy shown by the Samaritan who showed mercy to the one who was attacked by robbers. You know the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? Somebody kena mug, and then a few people pass by, mchoy, and then Samaritan who is, uh, doesn't usually associate with Jews one, is the one who stopped and helped. What does this all mean? It means that on top of the generosity we are to show to the needy and the outcasts as part of God's justice, we are also to show mercy, chesed, loving kindness, to those who are in need in our nation. Not because they deserve it. Not because they will treat us well in return. But simply because they need it. And so in showing chesed to others, we are being neighbours to them as the Samaritan was. And we are not only showing them a, a loyal sort of love as fellow countrymen, but more importantly, we are showing a, a loyal sort of love to God by loving them. As 1 John chapter 4, verse 7-8 says, Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And so those who know God loves others. That is part and parcel of their identity. And so as Malaysians, we tend to be pretty good at being kind towards people who are like us. Uh, we can be very generous. We can be very kind uh, to people in our families. Wow, very protective. Wow, I really want to provide the best. Uh, we can be very kind to people in our church. We can be very kind to people in our neighborhood if we know them long enough, right? All the chikeyan, uh, the, the, you know, your, 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 the people who, who belong to you, the people who are part of you, we are pretty good at loving them. The challenge in this country is showing the same sort of mercy or loving kindness to people we don't know, especially people of a different race. Let me say that again. Huh? The challenge in this country is showing the same sort of mercy and loving kindness to people we don't know or people of a different race. So just do a, the Good Samaritan test on yourself. Imagine that you came across someone who is genuinely, clearly in need of help. Okay? You know it's not a scam case. Lah, right? And so you saw them fall off their motorbike. Or you saw them kena snatch theft. What is your first thought? Stop. Show mercy, kindness, like the Good Samaritan. Or too much trouble, too messy, 
Oh, God, other people let them help. <laughs> right? And furthermore, would your response change if they were the same race as you? Or if they were a different race? As children of a loving and kind God, we should love mercy and extend it to others in our country, regardless of race, regardless of religion, regardless of any other sort of difference. And so be a voice of comfort, be a voice of love and kindness to all in our nation. So act justly, love mercy. Third, walk humbly with your God. Hebrew word for humbly means to have an attitude of a servant. So not serving or doing things in order to earn recognition, in order to earn a reward, but rather doing what is expected of a servant, okay? doing a duty, uh, simply out of obedience to the master, which is God. So what does it mean to walk humbly with your God in Malaysia? It means live a life of obedience to God as a citizen in this country, not just because there's something in it for you. You see, it is no accident that you are a citizen of this country. We do have the free will to choose where to study, where to work, where to migrate to, but God knows all the hairs in our heads, or at least the remaining hairs in our heads. Uh, he knows where, He knows when we will be born as a consequence of the choices of our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents. And whether those choices were good or bad choices, God knew very well which country we're going to be born into. He knew very well which hospital we're going to be born into. Just like how he knew where would Isaac, Jacob, and the rest of Israel be born into as a result of Abraham's choice to obey him in the first place. So our citizenship is no accident. If we believe that God is our creator, if we believe that He is the one who formed us and He is responsible for us coming into existence wherever we are, our citizenship is no accident. We are born into our country for God's purposes and we have a responsibility to live as citizens according to God's purposes for us and this nation. The Bible does not say only about, oh, focus on your relationship to God. Don't care about what's happening around you. Many parts of the Bible talk about being submissive to the governing authorities, praying for peace in your land, right? Having that concern for the people around you that make up your nation. So we have a God-given responsibility to live as godly citizens not just in God's kingdom, but also in this nation. Now, does this mean that God can't direct us to other countries to become PR, to become citizen there? Definitely not, right? But the question is, seeing as how something so completely out of your control as being born, that's the one thing you cannot control, you know, being born, right? You have zero agency over being born. Seeing as how that one thing made you a citizen of this nation. Are you absolutely sure that God is calling you elsewhere? 
Are you absolutely sure that God is calling your children elsewhere? Or is it what you want? Because Malaysia seems to be going from bad to worse. Now, disclaimer, if God speaks so clearly to you and He tells you, go from your country, from your people, from your father's household, go to the land I will show you, like Abraham, then please obey. Please go. Okay? He will build a nation through you as countless as the stars in the sky. But if it is a matter of opportunity, a matter of convenience, I'm not saying don't go. I'm saying please consider what is God's purpose for placing you in this country as a citizen, placing your children in this country as a citizen to walk humbly with Him here. And for any of you who feel that there is no point remaining in Malaysia, I are gone case lah, right? No way we can make a difference. The system is too entrenched. Uh, we are outnumbered. There's such a minority. What can we do? Remember the parable of the leaven? Remember the parable of the mustard seed? The kingdom of God that you represent has immense potential. Even if you feel like very, very small can be least in a very, very large ocean, you still can make the ocean salty, <laughs> right? The kingdom of God, it's not about you and how great you are. The kingdom of God has immense potential because our God is great and He can do great things through even a small fish in a big ocean. You may not become someone who begins a movement to eradicate corruption and injustice in this nation. But you may be the only Christian in your circle of friends and the values that you stand for influences somebody who can make that impact. Not too long ago, I discovered that Methodist Boys School Penang has produced many influential people in Malaysian society, including, can you see, yeah? Fifth Prime Minister Abdullah Badawi, uh, uh, Third, I think, uh, Penang Chief Minister, Ko Sukun. Uh, line line la, also got Thomas Cup champion la, and whatever, right? Now, imagine being a teacher or a counsellor to people like that. Imagine, you know, didn't, didn't go and settle down overseas, but stayed in this nation, wanted to do it, uh, make a difference, being a teacher, being a counsellor uh, to a future Prime Minister, a future Chief Minister. Imagine being in a position to impart values of honesty, integrity, harmony among races to people who can have great power and influence in this nation. So you may not know what sort of impact you can have in this nation right now. But I can assure you, it is a lot more impact than you would have if you are not here. So be a follower of Christ in Malaysia. You can go and study and train overseas all you want, but come back. Use what you have learned for Malaysia. Be a Malaysian ambassador for Christ. Be a maker of Malaysian disciples, 
love other Malaysians as you love your Malaysian self. You know, people always talk about brain drain, right? I think there is more than brain drain happening. There is spiritual drain, there is power drain, <laughs> there is wisdom drain. It's more than just brains being drained from this nation. Allow me to share my story. As a citizen of this country, I'll speak for myself. Maybe you might be able to identify. Probably many of you won't identify, but I'll tell you my story. I'm a Christian, okay? Praise the Lord. <laughs> I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm also a Malaysian citizen. I can prove it when I see uh, I was born here, I grew up here in Kerala, not, not in Penang. Uh, I've never spent any significant amount of time living in another country. Uh, visit, visit a bit, but didn't you know, study overseas or work overseas. All my studies were done locally. I am Chinese uh, in terms of ethnicity, but I'm very banana, okay? So yellow on the outside, white on the inside, uh, you know. Uh. Uh, I grew up in international school, okay? So English is the only real language I can speak. And I have a lot of Western cultural influences. Up to about 15 years ago, which is over half of my life, so you can calculate my age. Uh. Up to about 15 years ago, I had almost zero national consciousness. Meaning, I didn't know anything about my country. I just knew that I am living in a place called Malaysia. I lived in this country, I abided by its laws, but other than struggling to survive in a country where I can hardly speak the official language, uh, I wouldn't give a second thought about the nation other than what immediately affects me. So petrol price goes up, I owe this country, uh, uh, road closed, causing traffic jam. Ah, yo, this country. Uh, policeman fishing for a bribe because he stopped me for talking on the handphone, you know, uh, while driving. Ah, yo, this country. Somehow all driving related. Anyway, I didn't care about the Prime Minister. Who is the Prime Minister? I didn't care about what laws and policies were being formed. Uh, I didn't care who were being affected by these laws and policies, uh, I definitely was not registered to vote. In fact, I distinctly remember my father scolding me uh, in, in the car one day because I, I had political ap apathy. I said, I don't care about politics. I don't want to get involved in any of this political stuff. Ask me to register to vote. I, I don't know anyone. I don't care. Right? And he, he rebuked me. He forced me to go to the post office to register, even though I didn't want to, uh, in time for the 12th January elections. Uh. So again, you can calculate my age. Uh, I went along with it, but not because I wanted to. I only cared about myself. I only cared about my family, my friends, my church. That's about it. 15 years later, I confess I still struggle to keep track of who is the minister of what? Uh, who is the state assemblyman of where? All the names sound very similar to me. Uh, my poor command of the BM language still puts me at the disadvantage of uh, staying on top of what's going on in our nation. 
but I can no longer say that I don't care about my country. What made the difference for me? I became convinced that my attitude of not caring about what happened beyond my immediate circle of family and friends and church, that meant that I could not truly obey the great commission to make disciples of all nations, not just the people that I hang out with. I, I became convinced I could not truly love my neighbour. I could not truly be salt and light of this world because my fellow countrymen are my neighbours. My country is part of this world that I need to be salt and light in. And so part of walking with God meant that I had a responsibility to be a voice to this nation. Even if I'm at such a disadvantage, I didn't feel like it, uh, I had a responsibility. Not just for going for things like birthday rally or vote at the general election, but also in things like abiding by the laws of this nation, con uh, keeping the land clean, I see litter, you know, pick up. Uh, don't contribute to the litter. Don't, don't contribute to racism, which is so toxic in this nation. And of course, praying for the nation, being concerned about, being interested in, and bringing it to God in prayer. So in conclusion, friends, that's my story. What's your story? As God's people, what should be our areas of primary concern for our nation? May I propose that primary concern in our nation should be about justice and righteousness, which is tied to merciful kindness, especially to those in need, and especially not forgetting the salvation of unbelievers through our witness as Malaysians. Now notice I didn't say anything about praying for prosperity. <laughs> or safety. Uh, does this mean that we don't pray for or try to fight for things like success and prosperity in our nation, our ec economy? You know? I, I would like, liken this to praying and striving for success and prosperity for ourselves or our loved ones. You know, that is not sinful, it's not bad, it's not wrong, but it should also not be our only or primary concern. So I would propose that we don't take a prayer of Jabez approach to the nation. Right? That we don't only seek, oh, this is good, this is prosperous, and that's all we want. But that our primary concern should be justice and righteousness. Our primary concern should be being merciful and kind and bringing this nation to the Lord. In other words, we should not be pursuing what we consider is good for our nation at the expense of neglecting what God considers to be good for our nation. So friends, what sort of voice would you be for this nation? Complaining voice? Destructive voice? Silent voice? Or a voice of compassion? A voice of justice? A voice of God's love? May we be both citizens of heaven and responsible citizens of our nation, Malaysia. And so I'd like you to know that as God's people, we can be a voice to our nation. 
even the smallest voice can make a difference. For those who suffer in silence, even the smallest voice makes a difference. I'd like you to be a disciple and disciple maker in Malaysia. God placed you and your children here for a reason. Stay and find out that reason. And do act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. This is the good that God is looking for in His people. Let's pray. I want to give us a chance to respond to the Lord. If you feel that you need to repent of something, maybe some form of racism, maybe a tida apa attitude, maybe a desire to seek greener pastures elsewhere without seeking the Lord first. If you feel you need to repent, will you do so now? Would you tell the Lord, Lord, I'm sorry. Would you tell him that you want to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, that you want his will to be done, not yours. And if you sense a conviction to do something for those who are vulnerable in this country or to do something to be a voice to this nation, whether it's for a certain people group or maybe you don't even know what to do or where to start, but you know you want to be a salt and light to this nation. I invite you to speak to God now. Tell Him, Lord, help me. Help me to be your voice in this nation. Tell Him, Lord, show me where you're working. Among the poor, the orphan, the widow, the foreigner, Ask him to use you as an ambassador of his peace, as an agent of healing in Malaysia. Lord, I bring my brothers and sisters before you, even myself. And Lord, we seek your forgiveness when we have ignored how you're working in Malaysia, when we've cared more about what we want and not what you want when we've turned a, a blind eye and a deaf ear to all whom you care about in this land, even those who don't know you. Lord, forgive us. Lord, we know that you love all in this nation, especially those who don't know you, that, Lord, you seek to bring them back to you. And you love them as much as you love us. For Jesus died for them, just as he died for us. And so, Lord, will you give us your heart for this land? Will you give us your heart for this people? Lord, fill us with compassion. Fill us with courage. Fill us with your loving kindness as we seek to do what is good in your eyes. In acting justly, in loving mercy, 
and in walking humbly with you. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord of all nations. Amen.